Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, I am uh, thrilled to have Derek Gaunt with me today. Derek is uh, an instructor at the Black Swan Group. He helps uh, companies uh, develop their, their leadership. Um, he teaches leadership and communications training to uh, uh, executives of companies of all sizes. Um, he's an author. His book is Ego, Authority, Failure, Using Emotional Intelligence Like a Hostage Negotiator to Succeed as a Leader. Um, and uh, I think in the title of the book, you can kind of get an idea of uh, Derek's background. He was a, a law enforcement hostage negotiator, and he's used those skills now to help businesses take it to the uh, the next level. So, Derek, thank you so much for coming on today. Craig, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Happy to happy to join. So the one thing, you know, as a hostage negotiator, and this is the mm -hmm. one thing I tell you, you know, it's it's uh, you always learn by your weaknesses. One of the uh, the weaknesses that that you know I personally have is sometimes it's just very hard to think on my feet and communicate effectively when you know the chips are down on the table and it's it's a it's a highly stressful environment yeah um so uh, yeah you've obviously learned some skills where did you where did you learn those skills and how are you how are you putting them into uh how are you putting them into motion well, I, I started my uh, law enforcement career in 88, I became a negotiator in 97, team leader in 2001, team commander in 2004. And that's a position, a position that I held up until the time I left in, in 2017. And, uh, you know, as would be expected, I, I, uh, I did a lot, I saw a lot, and I, I learned a lot. Um, staying in the moment and, and, and trying to formulate a right response is a is a trainable skill um, and it ha and it starts with your ability to understand the human nature response when we get stuck in stressful situations when we've got skin in the game and the chips are down it's because our amygdala is fired up because we are in defensive mode because the, the at the end of the day a negotiation is nothing but a difficult conversation and a difficult conversation makes us uncomfortable and it, it produces all kinds of negative emotions, and that impedes our ability to cognitively process uh, what's before us. Uh, so it, it starts with your, your mental preparation before you go into the room. Um, I've come up with an acronym called, called CAVIAR, right? It's, it's C-A-V-I-A-A-R. And the C stands for curiosity, the A stands for accept, the V stands for vent, the I stands for identify, and the double A stands for uh, accusations audit, and then uh, the final R stands for remember. And if you break those down into components, being curious means uh, being non-judgmental, looking at the, the difficult conversation or the negotiation as a discovery process. Uh, you're looking to find out information, and it's impossible for you to be angry and afraid if you are being genuinely curious with the other side, finding out uh, what is their view 
of the lay of the land, so to speak. Uh, the first A is accept. Greg, in any difficult conversation, the, the likelihood that you're going to be attacked is very real. Know that going in and mentally prepare yourself for that attack. The attack from the other side is not going to make any sense. It's going to be insane. It's going to seem like it's unfair and it's coming out of left field, but it doesn't matter because it's not your perspective you need to be concerned with. It's, it's theirs. And if you are, if you can remain seated and focused, you only have to hold on for about 45 seconds to a minute unless you're dealing with an out-and-out -out sociopath because it's hard for people to stay angry uh, for an extended period of time. And V stands for vent. Find a trusted colleague or uh, a significant other and, and, and vent, spew out all the good, bad, ugly about the pending conversation. Um, the more you vent before you actually get into the room, the less likely that baggage is going to be brought with you and exposed during the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, the I stands for identify. In other words, identify your, your, part, your counterparts negotiator personality types. We break them out into three categories, assertives, analysts, and accommodators. Assertives like to dominate the process and be heard and respected. Analysts are just looking for information. They're looking to get smarter. Accommodators are in tune with maintaining relationships. So try to identify which one you're dealing with on the other side, because the reality is there's a 66% chance that they are different than you. And so what you deem as valuable what you deem as fair, what you deem as appropriate may not be viewed the same way on the other side. In fact, the chances are it's not going to be. Mm -hmm. The AA stands for accusations audits, and that's what we do before we get involved in the or get into the meat of the conversation is we identify all the negative assumptions and opinions and impressions that the other side has about us, and we lay them out at the beginning of the conversation before we get started. And then the final letter R is remember. Remember that the counterpart is not the adversary. Whatever the issue is, is the adversary. Your challenge as a leader, your challenge uh, when you're trying to influence other people is make your counterpart a teammate in a problem-solving event. So that's, that's, that's a quick down and dirty on how to have the right mindset before you even go into the conversation that will help you to stay uh, emotionally clear so that you're cognitively more nimble. So basically, you know, it comes down to, you, you, you know, like you said, you know, business is just a series of difficult conversations That's um, it. in general. And, you know, the general, you know, and generally what you're saying is, hey, look, before you go into those conversations, just take a step back and understand what you're going into before you walk in. Yeah, and 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 mentally prepare yourself. The visualization visualization is 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 key to that. And if you can keep caviar top of mind, you're going in at a better in a better position than you otherwise would. So you know, um, I used to you know back when I was selling airplanes and very high priced real estate. You've got very wealthy customers with huge egos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you have different conversations you, in your book? You talk about ego uh, quite a bit and ego can be a huge inhibitor to success. At what yeah. point do you need to realize, hey, my ego is stepping in the way? And how do you realize my ego is stepping in the way? You realize um, it when you start to focus on your goal and objective and not 
the perspective of the other side, dealing with uh, individuals, you know, high level clients with with inflated egos. Most of them are assertive types, which means more than anything else, they want to be heard and they want to be respected. They will blow a deal up if they don't feel like they've been heard and respected. And so I love dealing with assertives because I let them do what they want to do, which is talk. And again, I'm looking at every difficult conversation as a guided discovery process. I'm looking for pieces of information. So when you have identified a client and you, you do your research and you do all the due diligence that you think you can, I'm telling you now that there are things going on with that client that aren't on the internet, that, that, that uh, you're not going to find in any magazine or any book. There are things going on with them internally that you will only find once you engage them in a conversation. So again, it goes back to, to just being curious with the assertives. Like I said, they love to dominate the conversation. So I let them, I give the illusion of control to the other side while, but I maintain the upper hand by framing the scope. Is framing the scope asking questions and a lot of questions. Framing the scope is not asking questions, as a matter of fact. At the Black Swan Group, we are moving away from asking calibrated questions, otherwise known as open-ended questions, to gather information. We are now actually turning our, all of our questions into labels. And, and for those who aren't familiar, labels are one of the skills that we rely on where we are, are articulating the observation of a, of a motivation, uh, of a driving force, of a dynamic. Um, and so we're changing all we're we're changing questions from who, what, where, when, how to it looks like it seems like if I were to ask you in the old way, I, I could say, Craig, what time can I expect delivery of X to put that into a label form? It seems like you have a date in mind in which I can expect delivery. It lands a little bit softer. It doesn't feel like you're pushing. It doesn't feel like you're interrogating the other the other side so any what how question can be changed into a label to have it land a little bit softer and it's just another method by which we demonstrate to the other side that we are trying to be empathic to them we are constantly subordinating ourselves we are constantly subordinating ourselves and deferring to the other side at least for 80 percent of a difficult conversation so if somebody says, you know, hey, look, uh, what's it cost? Your answer back is sort of, you know, is price the primary driver of the conversation, of the decision or? Well, first of all, that's a yes. That, the way you asked it was a closed-ended question. That was a yes or no. Okay. And so if I'm asking, if, if someone asks what the price is, I'm going to flip it around. It says it seems like you have a specific price point in mind because you know that they do. They want your number so they can compare it to the one that's already in their head. And when at all possible, I'm never going to throw a number first. Yeah, he who talks first loses. Yeah, he who talks first loses. He, and, and also, if you're explaining, you're losing. Right. I got you. What, uh, you know... Which, you know, the path to teaching people, I mean, you know, it seems like it's a pretty easy skill to learn, but, you know, look, it's, 
it's really different. You know, everybody's got, you know, everybody's got a, uh, an adversity to having difficult conversations. Yes. Um, you, you know, you know, when you're walking into the room and the other guy on the other side, is going to be adversarial. Your you know, the hair on the back of your neck's already standing up. You're, you're tightening up, et cetera. Um, you know, how do people, you know, you really start to train. How do companies start to train their people to do this better? I mean, it can't just be a, a one-time event at a sales meeting no. in Memphis each year. No, it's got, it's, it's, this is tantamount to learning a new language. And most of the people who are recipients of our training have, are, have already demonstrated a certain level of success in their own space, which means they've already developed their own habits on how to get things done. And then we come in and we say, everything that you've learned about negotiation heretofore is, is uh, antiquated. And here's, here's the way you should do it. So the, 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 the best way is to, is to get us in and work with your teams half day, full day. We've got companies that have us coming in for two full days. Um, and then there's, a, there's a, just a, a huge number of individuals who are working for corporations that just want to sharpen their blade, that just want to get better, who are coming in for one-on-one coaching or availing themselves of the online course. But the bottom line is it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Once you're exposed to the skills, um, it, it, they're, they're perishable. So if you're not, it's, this is not something that you can get a notebook uh, and, and keep it on your desk and pull it out when you're ready to execute because it's not, gonna, it's not going to be as polished as it otherwise would. So it takes, what, 64 to 67 reps to develop a new habit. And we encourage the people that we instruct to go out and, and apply this stuff in low stakes conversations where you don't have any skin in the game. Uh, there isn't significant dollar amounts hanging in the balance. Go out and, 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 for example, take Monday and make Monday your label day where you go out and you say, all I'm going to do today is see how many times I can label another individual where you say it looks like, it seems like, it sounds like during the course of a conversation. And then Tuesday is your mirror day where you repeat back the last one to three words that the other side has given you. And then Wednesday, you do an alternate day where you're going to label one conversation, you're going to mirror the other. And you just keep building your, your repetition because the, most of the pushback that we get from students, from clients, is the skills are awkward. And because they're awkward, because they're counterintuitive, they're, they are resistant because when we're awkward, we are uncomfortable. And as human beings, when we are uncomfortable, what we want to do more than anything else is get comfortable again, comfortable again as quickly as possible. And that usually results us to go back to habits that we know and that we embrace. And so, but the flip side of that coin is in awkwardness comes accelerated learning because you have to focus more. And when you feel awkward, that's your brain telling you there's no uh, synaptic connection yet developed for the skill that you're asking me to employ. And that's why it, quote, hurts so much. Yep. I mean, I've seen companies do, yeah, look, you know, some of the best negotiators are buyers, you know, on the supply chain side, and they're out negotiating you know, best price with their, their suppliers, et cetera. And, you know, I've seen some companies do scripts. I've seen some companies, you know, role play a lot of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of you, you know, what you know of your clients. You know, what are they are 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 they doing? You know, team building efforts to all improve each other's skills. Um, the smart ones are, uh, but you know, we're still a very we're still a pretty small tribe in that um, our message is not um, global to the extent that we would like it to be. And so I say that to say that uh, some of the individuals will go back to their company and try to get them to start to adopt the black swan method. And again, because it's so foreign, it's so counterintuitive, they get pushback within their their own organization. But the smart ones do. We had a, 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 re, a recent company, um, a recent training with a a global, an international company, uh, and their the group that they sent us was uh, primarily they're delivering bad news every time that they get on the phone. Every time they get on the phone, it's going to be a confrontation, and um, the script that they had developed for their team uh, did not indicate that they were preparing for a difficult conversation. In fact, it was more of them trying to impose their will, if you will. And, you know, you, you, you get more, you get more uh, bang for the buck when you're using honey as opposed to vinegar. So we helped them to revamp uh, their scripts, but um, the smart ones are role-playing and they're role-playing with our stuff and they're staying in the moment. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. It's just a matter of two people getting together and say, and saying, uh, to, one to another, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about, uh, you know, kayaking. And then the other person saying, what about kayaking makes you so passionate? And then that, from that point on, just labeling and mirroring to find out what the true motivation behind the passion is. That exercise takes about 10 minutes. And each time that the person is labeling and mirroring, they're grooving that neural pathway deeper and deeper until it becomes second nature. You don't want to, you don't want to go into a high stakes negotiations, a, a negotiation Super Bowl, if you will, and and try to employ these skills the first time because uh, you're you're going to fall. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean it's it's funny. I remember, I still remember sitting. Uh, this goes back a ways. A very young senior executive, big ego, sitting in a room on a conference call with a pretty uh, pretty high caliber client on the other end, and the the client on the other end was, you know, just you know, driving a very hard negotiation. And, and, and with every ask, you could just see this young executive, you know, huffing and puffing and getting angrier and angrier. And, you know, his counterpart, who was 20 years a senior, sat next to him and tapped him on the shoulder and just said, you know, hey, calm down. He's, he's just trying to see what he can get. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it, it changed the dynamics of the, uh, yeah, it changed the dynamics of that conversation pretty significantly when the guy realized, hey, look, he's just trying to see what he can get. Yeah. Um, and that speaks volumes about not going into these things uh, one-on-one or one-on-many. Um, if, if you're going into these difficult conversations, it's always good to have a wing person in there with you. You lay out the roles and responsibilities before you go in that you're going to be driving the bus as far as the conversation is concerned, but I need you there to take notes. I need you there to pick up on anything that I might miss because as you're engaged in the conversation, there are things that are going to go by you that you're not going to be aware of. And that's where that wing person comes in. Yeah. It's, it's always the scary, but it's always the scariest thing. It's always the guy with the big ego who looks at his counterpart and says, Hey, you just sit there and say nothing. I got, I'll handle everything. 
And you know, that's like a 90 mile an hour train wreck in the making. Yeah. Waiting to happen. Exactly. So I got you. What about, you know, look, listening skills. I mean, um, you know, we're talking about the negotiations and you're, you're, you, you were in law enforcement and uh, had some hostage scenarios happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're obviously listed in there and you're trying to figure out, Hey, what, what, you know, trying to figure out what's, what's this guy want? What's he need? What do we need to do to get this over the, uh, over the hump? Um, you know, most people have pretty poor listening skills. Yeah. Yeah. Because most of us are intermittent listeners where we're listening just long enough to get the gist of what the other side is saying. And then once we get that gist, we refocus on our own internal monologue or, or we're, we are rebuttal listeners. We're listening long enough till uh, the person on the other side says something that we know we can argue with. And now we're just waiting for them to shut up long enough so we can jump into the conversation and tell them how smart we are. Um, and that doesn't go deep enough. That doesn't, that doesn't try to listen for the, the emotions that are attached to what the content says, uh, the, the logic that's associated with the emotion. And then, um, you know, what does this mean for them in their, in their sphere of influence? How does this impact them? If this makes sense to them, if this is their judgment, uh, why does it make sense to them? That's, that's listening on a deeper level and that's harder to do. It takes much more effort and that's why most people don't do it. Uh, you know, we like things that are simple. We like things that are easy and at least listening at, at an empathic level takes a lot of effort and energy. And, um, that's why most people shy, uh, shy away from it. But at the end of the day, the counterpart is going to tell you everything you need to know to move the needle with them. If you're willing to just listen. We get so wrapped up on the threat or the demand or the request that we don't try to find out what's driving it. You know, when you hear, you know, take this clause out of the contract or I'm not going to sign, cut your price or we're going to a competitor. I need this by this date or the deal is off. We start to freak out and start to compromise our position without fully understanding the motivation behind the threat or the demand or the request and listening deeply to find out because at the end of the day, when someone says do this or else, when someone gives you pushback, they start to threaten you. They start to make demands of you. There's something else that's motivating and it's usually fear, fear of the uncertainty and a lack of trust that they have in you to deliver whatever it is in the time frame you say that you can't. And so that's what we need to attack as opposed to dealing with the fact that they're asking us to take something out of a contract. Right. I gotcha. What, how do you make, uh, how do you, how do you turn your teams into better listeners? Or do you, how do you get to Carnegie hall? One step, one step at a time. Practice, right? Practice, practice, practice. So let, let's talk about the one tool that has probably blown up more deals, created more hate and discontent in the world. Um, it was banned at Siebel Systems for a long time after two o'clock in the afternoon, and that is email. 
And now I'll take it one step further and we'll say, let's talk about texts and social media and tweets and everything else that can be misconstrued and misread and uh, teaching your teams to say, have the conversation, don't send an email. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I got into a discussion with a client yesterday about, about email. Um, and her position was most of my clients are refusing to talk to me over the phone. They, they would prefer email conversations. And I said, time out. You, you gotta, you gotta break that. You gotta break that cycle. And the way to break the cycle is, you know, send, think of email as a short game in golf. It's getting you closer to the ultimate hole. The hole is getting them to a voice to voice conversation. If you can't do it face to face, if you can't do it, on a conference call, do it on the telephone, but it's got to be voice to voice. Um, tone is so important. Tone is, is so often misinterpreted that people imagine it even when it doesn't exist. Because in reality, an email, uh, black letters on a white screen doesn't have tone, but people always imagine that it does. That's the first problem. The second problem with email or any other text communication is if I, if, if I lay out a, a, an email with four or five paragraphs of information in it for the other side to consider, they're going to read through that thing and pick out the one or two things that they have the biggest issue with. And that's all they're going to focus on regardless of what else is contained in the email. You yep. know, nobody likes reading long emails and yet, we think it's okay to generate long emails. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just nonsense. And so rule of thumb, your email should never be more than five sentences long. And those five sentences should be in an effort to drive the other side to a voice to voice conversation. That's the only way you're going to be able to pick up on, um, that's the only way that you're going to be able to pick up on tone. That's the only way that you're going to be able to determine whether or not your message is resonating with the other side. Yeah, I know. I mean, Hey, look, you get an email and you know how you interpret that email is fully determined by what mood you're in that day. You're exactly right. Yeah. You know, if you're prepared to do battle and somebody sends you an email, you're doing battle with that email. Yeah. Um, I've been a long proponent and Hey, look, I'm as guilty as the next guy. But emails are, let's talk at four. Here are the documents you requested. Uh, lunch tomorrow at 12 o'clock. Very short statements, you know, or, you know, like you said, I think Twitter's got it right. 150 characters and you're done. Exactly. And, uh, you know, short, sweet, to the point. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the one thing I, I mentor kids at the, uh, the local uni University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And the one thing I have to continually remind them is your whole career can be blown up at 20 years old because you sent out a stupid tweet or a mm -hmm. stupid email or an Instagram or something of the sort. And it's very hard to explain to them that, you know, people do see these things and they will interpret them as they see fit exactly. at, any time, at any time. Exactly. Whereas when you're voice to voice, you can control the interpretation just on how you deliver the message. So you're, you're obviously seeing general, you're, you're, you're working inside companies and you're, you're working at the C-suite all the way down to, I'm sure, manager level and helping mm -hmm. train. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing generational 
you're seeing generational uh, methods of communications change. What, uh, you know, what, you know, what, what do, where do we need to get better um, communicating between uh, the millennials and the, the boomers? Well, uh, as, as, as boomers, you, we, we got to stop beating up on the millennials for their differences in, in, in preferences. And you can take that and extrapolate it to whatever you want it to mean or, 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 or whatever uh, mannerisms, behaviors, or interests, um, and meet them where they are. You know, we know that millennials, the, the days of because I said so are gone. Uh, millennials, they, they, they need, they've been given explanations all their life, and now they're in the workforce. And because we were never, you and I came up at a time where it was because I said so, and, and we took it at face value. The millennials are not like that. And they have less loyalty to the particular company or, uh, that they work for. Uh, they have no qualms with, with putting in two years and then leaving and going somewhere else. And by and large, across the board, people aren't, they, they're not leaving jobs. They're leaving bad bosses. And so the sooner that we learn to meet them where they are to demonstrate that we understand that this is the way they view the lay of the land, this is their perspective, this is their frame of reference, the better off we're going to be, the better off we're going to be at creating inclusive environments and, and, and motivating them to stay as opposed to go. So here's a, here's a question for you. And you, you sort of just said people are leaving bad bosses. And, you know, so how do you, how do the teams of bad bosses help that boss to become better? What is there, is there, is there some good strategies that people can employ, you know, employ to, to help a bad boss learn and become a better boss? Or is that sort of a top down, is that sort of a top down exercise that needs to happen? It's, it's, it's top down and, and bottom up. Your ability to influence up uh, should never be underestimated because at the end of the day, the bosses, mid-level managers, C-suite, whatever, what do they all have in common? They're all human beings. And understanding the human nature response puts you at a distinct advantage at influencing them because of that. And um, as human beings, what we want more than anything else is to have someone else understand what we're going through, what's, what's impacting us, what we are seeing. We want to be understood. And the sooner you're able to do that, with anybody, whether it's up, down, or laterally, the more influence you're going to have. You know, your boss comes down on you, uh, and he he moves a deadline. He's changing, uh, he's changing structure. Um, you know, and he seems to want it done in a hurry. Then what he's telling you is that I'm getting pressure from somewhere. So as as a subordinate. As soon as I recognize that, I am going to identify it for him. Boss, it seems like you're under tremendous pressure to get this done by X. 
that one statement will go a long way in demonstrating tactical empathy, establishing rapport, so that you, even as a subordinate, can develop trust-based influence and begin to let him or her focus on changing their behavior, um, which is what we're the ultimate goal in any difficult conversation, right? It, yep. we're, tr we're trying to elicit a change in behavior on some level for something. And the sooner we demonstrate that tactical empathy, uh, the, the faster we will establish rapport, develop trust-based influence, and get them to change. I had somebody uh, call me a couple weeks ago, and it was you know, a natural conflict with the boss. And they're like, I just don't know what they want from me. Yeah, my answer back was, you know, why don't you just pull 20 bucks out of your pocket, go take them to lunch and ask them mm -hmm. point black. What, what do you need? What do you want? You know, how can we help it? How can we work together productively? And, you know, I was like, wow, I could, I can do that. And you know, look, I think at the end of the day, if it comes down to that, it's, it's sort of like, Hey, look, if you're at the point where you're ready to quit or, you know, what have you, you, if you don't have that conversation with somebody, you're, you're shortchanging them, you're shortchanging yourself. I mean, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the best way to get to the end zone is just ask somebody, well, what do we need to do? Exactly. Exactly. It's, I mentioned it in the beginning of the call. It's a guided discovery process. You know, in your gut, uh, things are changing, things are amiss, and it's, it's producing an air of confusion. How do you get to the bottom of that air of, to clear that air of, of confusion? Ask the question. Most people are hesitant to engage in that because it's going to be a difficult conversation. And most of us don't like engaging in difficult conversations because it makes us uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. And, and, and it's all about, it's like you said, making that difficult conversation, being prepared for those difficult conversations, making them easier, um, easier and easier. Um, attorneys, you know, they always amaze me. You know, they, they, they can have difficult conversations and it's almost like they've seen the same problem a thousand times. They just have a different answer to the, you know, to each issue. Um, you know, you know, guys like you, you've, you've, you've been in some very high stress circumstances where, you know, lives are probably on the line and, you know, it's like, all right, let's take a methodical approach to, you know, get to the root of the problem to, and, and solve it. Um, you know, why can't the same be done? You know, why can't the same be done in business, right? Uh, yeah, and and it 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 really um, it it really can. It, people say, well, I get you know, okay, you used your communication skills to save lives, but um, you know, those are high stakes, and lives aren't really hanging in the balance in the conversations that I get involved in. And I and and my retort is, lives may not be hanging in the balance, but livelihoods are, and if you don't think that there's a significant emotional um, level attached to um, a $10 million deal, you're kidding yourself. And so the sooner you understand that we are not rational, logical creatures, uh, we were not designed that way. We are emotional beings and every single decision that is made is, is being driven by the fear of loss. Corporate negotiators yell at each other and call each other's names far more than we ever did with hostage takers. Think about that for a second. 
your negotiations are generally more contentious than any hostage taker or kidnap that we kidnapper that we ever dealt with. Well, yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's like you said, it's livelihoods. It's, it's, you know, there's, it's, uh, um, you know, I, hey, I've seen people go, you know, toe to toe, almost to fisticuffs just to get a deal done. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, we got it done. Let's go to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was a, that was a huge, uh, you know, and, and, and you see it internally in companies all the time, you know, finance and sales. Yeah. You know, they just, there's like their natural enemies, you know, the, the sales guys yeah. got to want to get the deal done. The finance guy's saying, or the finance girl's going, Hey, you know, there's not enough margin here. Yeah. The sales guy ultimately comes back and says, you just don't understand. And the finance person says, no, I'm looking at the numbers. I do understand. And it's, a, it's, a, it becomes a pretty funny conversation after a while, but it seems, it seems to be one that repeats itself over and over and over again. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, um, it, it it's it's damaging people you know uh we're we're looking to expand the black swan group so we were we were talking to a former fbi agent to see to pull his interest in joining us in um, our pursuit to take over the globe um and he said you know my brother-in-law is uh is uh responsible for negotiating for this uh global company and um he is of the mindset by any means necessary and it has really changed him as a person i've seen the detrimental effect of his approach to corporate negotiations and i don't know if i want to get involved in training corporate negotiators i would rather deal with the ethos of uh of a kidnapper in the jungles of, of the philippines <laughs> as opposed to getting involved with corporate negotiations that and that speaks volumes about yeah. the state of most uh corporate negotiating and negotiators yep well that's no it's a, it's it's a great question someone asks it says do you want to be right or do you want to win and there and i think that's the question at the end of the day is hey put your ego in your pocket and win mm -hmm. the deal or be right and walk home empty-handed um you know it's your call you know, which, you know, which one is, uh, you know, which one's a bigger victory. So it's a, it's an interesting right. dynamic, but what's a bigger consequence, the, uh, the need to win or the need to not lose? Um, most people's mind, it's, it's the need not to lose. Uh, the fear of loss is the biggest driver in human decision-making. And, um, it, 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 it produces a lot of negative emotions that, that impact our ability to think. It makes us um, reactionary versus responsive. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the uh, problem because reaction is always um, uh, rife, if you will, with emotions. Yeah. Well, the winners, uh, you know, you look through history, the winners are uh, well prepared. The, lunar, the losers tend to just show up, right? So your book, Ego, Authority, and Failure, um, Using Emotional Intelligence uh, Like a Hostage Negotiator um, to Succeed as a Leader. How's it, uh, how's it coming around? How's it doing? It's coming along well. Um, I get a lot of, uh, I've gotten a lot of good reviews on it. Um, they get it with, uh, on, on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to produce the audio version in uh, Q2 of next year. Uh, because there's been a lot of demand 
for it. So look for that in, in the uh, first part of 2020. How do people uh, get a hold of you? BlackSwanLTD.com. That's the fastest, easiest way. Very good. Well, thank you for coming on. Look forward to uh, look forward to this podcast coming out and uh, having you back. Will you will you come back on again? Absolutely. I had a blast. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate the invite. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate everything.